Okay, we're back, we're back, we're back. Vel News Podcast, special end of the week episode. And we got a real good one because, Kaylee, you did an interview with Nathan Haas. True. What did old Nathan have to say? Nathan had many things to say. Uh-huh. Uh, you're going to have to listen to find out all of the things that he said. But we talked about a bunch of things. He's, he's, he's transitioning from Dimension Data uh, to Katusha, which is kind of a... Ooh. We're not really used to... Yeah. to English-speaking riders heading over to Katusha. And he's actually, uh, Ian Boswell, the American, is joining him at that team. So we chatted a little bit about that. We chatted about some of the charity work he's doing with Kubeka. Uh, he runs a big gala in Girona. They make, make you know, raise a bunch of money for Kubeka. We chatted about a whole bunch of things. He's, he's coming off a good season as well. Really uh, season. We should say he, he rode to fourth overall in his home tour, the Santos Tour Down Under, which is pretty solid being a world tour race. He also was... Fourth at the Amstel Gold Race. That later, was really later that spring, which is yeah, a huge result in a, in a spring classic, of course. And he's uh, he's on the up and up. He's uh, he's only twenty eight years old, so still I think several years to develop and improve even more. It'll be interesting to see how he uh, evolves in a new program, the Katusha Alpecin program. I'm just gonna say it now. Coming second place to Peter Sagan. That's a win. I say that's a win. <laughs> I think that's kind of how he sees it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> he'd still like to beat him every once in a while. As, as he says later on when you, when you listen, uh, you know, he's beat all of those guys. He's beat Peter Sagan. He's beat Michael Matthews. He's beat all these punchy riders that are very much in the same mold as he is. He's beat them all at some point. He just needs to beat them all at the same time. Cool. Well, let's listen in. I'm here at the Felonies Podcast with Nathan Haas today. Nathan, you were in Boulder, Colorado for what? A bit of altitude training? I was spiritual reawakening. <laughs> End of a long season. Always like to come back to Boulder. My, my coach, Colby Pierce, actually lives here. So I think it's, it's always nice to spend a little bit of face time with you know, those that kind of run that physical side of your life and make a lot of the decisions for you. So it's, it's always good to sort of touch base. But um, the sort of timing found me here... You know, I'm not getting raced too much by my team at the moment, and uh, I had a, a bit of a race gap between, uh, what was the last race I just did in France, the GP Plouet, mm. and uh, you know, big goals for me is always the uh, Quebec and Montreal races, and you know, I really wanted to come over sort of stateside and get over the jet lag to begin with, you know, a bit earlier than all the other guys, so sort of just fell into my hands to come to Boulder and see my friends, my coach, and... And also just get used to the sun when it comes up. So for our Velenews podcast listeners who are not intimately familiar with Nathan and, and Nathan's background, uh, you read for Dimension Data right now. You rode for various iterations of Slipstream before that. You're from Australia, uh, as people can probably tell from the accent. Uh, <laughs> you, I believe, just went shopping for a fishing reel and again we'll put this up after the the relevant person's birthday tell me about what, what were you doing uh, right it's, it's actually it's actually not um for a birthday it's for a, i think a more significant uh time in someone's life which everyone will know about at some point but um yeah tyler farrar i'm buying him a fishing reel because you know he's uh he's into hunting which is you know it's pretty hard to, to unshoot a deer, whereas <laughs> I like to put my fish back in the water. So I know he loves the outdoors and um, and uh, also really likes, you know, the sort of, you know, the thrill and adrenaline that you get from, from you know, chasing. But um, I feel that fishing's maybe a, 
more humane avenue for him. So I'm trying to get him into that. So I bought him a knife fishing reel. Very nice. Uh, what what type of fishing reel do you buy? The uh, important questions so are it's always like a, asked here. It's like a three three gauge fly rod. So it's more for like it's like a really nice reel just for small streams in in beautiful places. And I think it should hold any fish that he catches. How lovely. How very lovely. Uh, I hope I hope Tyler will enjoy his brand new fishing reel. Let's get into a little bit more bike racing stuff. You seem like a guy who's on the edge of sort of big one-day wins. That, you, you just seem like that kind of rider to me. Because, I mean, what is it, fourth at Anstell last year? You've been right on the cusp for a while. Yeah, you know, for sure I'm, I'm right there. It's frustratingly close. And it's, you know, it's pretty hard when, you know, you keep finding yourself alone in finals against guys with lots of teammates. And, and you know, it's... I think we're, we're in an era where we might have the greatest cyclist of all time bouncing around with Sagan and it's you know then you've got guys like Matthews and and another guy that might be one of the best ever in Gilbert it's the specialist in my favorite races and you know it's I keep getting second third fourth you know to these same guys in just a different order so you know each one of them I've I've beaten but just in a in a different weird way so oh Canada is kind of unique in the sense that it's just attritious like to the very end and and I think, you know, guys aren't necessarily going to have all their teammates. So I think it comes down a little bit more to how much you want it in Canada. And, you know, I know, I know with the way my season's gone, how hard I've worked, I, I definitely owe it to myself to go all in. And, and I'm going to have some fun with it. And, and which way it goes, it doesn't really matter because, you know, to get that win eventually or the big one, it's, it's a matter of just practicing the process of getting yourself to the race as fit as you can. And then every time you find yourself in those finals, you know, Sagan has probably lost, you know, as many races, you know, in second and third place as he's as he's won. So it's not like he goes out and wins everything. It's it's um, you know, it's how many finals you're actually in and competing at the deep end. It's like it's, it's refining your skills and your practice and your tactical nous and your patience. And I'm getting closer and closer and consistently closer and closer. So. I'm not going to be surprised if if a big win happens, but I'll definitely be happy. And you're still pretty young, 28, right? Yeah. 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 So you're punchy for a couple more years. Yeah. Gilbert's what? Gilbert's like could be your dad. Gilbert's your dad. <laughs> it had to be like an eight-year-old dad. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe a seven-year-old dad. Maybe not quite. Maybe got more respect for him than I ever had. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you a little bit about this Cannondale stuff. Uh, this was your team. This was your home for a long time it's got to be kind of a bummer uh for the entire peloton to see to see teams on the brink like that what's the discussion like you know within within the peloton within within the field particularly among guys who have been on that team or been near that team i think in many ways we all thought this was going to be the first season that as many world tour teams that started were going to finish and I think, you know, contract negotiations for many and for many teams were going a certain way. And then all of a sudden there was black snow again, like there has been for the last four years. And, and it's super stressful. And, you know, in, in many ways, you know, JV's done a lot for the sport. But, you know, the business model there never evolved. And, you know, he was always talking about how this business model needs to evolve and become something else. But he never did it, mm-hmm. and um, that's not that's not his fault because you know he was maybe trying to just to keep the team afloat for so many years after year after year, and um, 
you know, I think there was an interesting article where you saw the list every single year. Sometimes there were even two title sponsors coming on or leaving, and you know, it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> it's a hardcore industry. So it's, um, I think, you know, the hardest thing for everybody is just when this all came out. It's a little bit hard because a lot of the budgets and and leaders were already sort of decided on a lot of the teams, big and small. So it's not even like um, you know a rider can just all of a sudden call up and say, ah, you know, team X, you know, I, I'm going cheap this year. Can I have a spot? They're all sitting there going, well, we thought there was going to be no glut of riders at the end of the year to choose from, so we got in early, and now we're full. You were one of the people that kind of made an early move. Uh, we've heard about your upcoming move to Katusha. Can we talk about that that move a little bit? Yeah, uh, sure. What what sort of brought that about? I mean, as you said, your team hasn't been racing you this much. Dimension Data hasn't been racing you this much this summer. Was that a factor in your decision to move at all? Uh, you know, I don't want to. I certainly don't want to talk bad about the team because they've actually been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel that. I knew that I was a particular type of rider at Slipstream and to become that rider I had to leave and I had to go somewhere where I got um, got the chances to mm-hmm. to lead and and as many opportunities as I've had you know I've been appreciative of every single one but um, I was I was really preparing for the Tour de France this year and you know I I didn't want to do the Giro d'Italia after the Ardennes because you know you've already been racing from January 3rd and I'd been getting top 10s and top 5s in every single race I was in from January 3rd until the Ardennes and you know starting starting the Giro knowing that I was going to pull out after stage 10 was like I just I didn't really love having to do that it was a pretty pretty yucky feeling again just not finishing a Grand Tour but also knowing that I was starting just fried mentally more than anything and then um, to stop the Giro d'Italia to, uh, to freshen up and then prepare for the Tour de France and then to not get a Tour de France spot, for me that was like, you know, uh, it certainly wasn't personal from the team at all, but from a personal professional level, I want to have my breakthrough ride at the Tour de France. And if you're not at the Tour de France, how do you do that? So, um, you know, my decision was made um, a lot sort of from from that happening and um, it certainly wasn't, um, me leaving the team on any sort of harsh note, you know, I had some wonderful chats with Doug about, you know, um, you know how things were going and and where the team was going as well, and, and knowing that Louis Menkes was at that point almost definitely coming back, and, and of course we know a little bit more than the media does, so you know that for me was like a big card to sort of tell and, and know that I was not going to be a priority once Cavs got his three guys, um, you know, Louis has his like more specific climbing bunch, and then I'm sort of somewhere like awkwardly again in the middle. Whether or not you go because you're that guy, or you don't because you're that guy, I just didn't really want to take the risk again. And um, you know, I had a lot of offers from a lot of teams from January onwards. It was you have a lot of UCI points. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was I was top ten until I think like April, um, and you know, I still think I'm Dimension Data's most pointed rider, and um, that's I mean, that's that's a cool thing, but it also doesn't totally matter. But right. for me. Um, I guess I just want to be going to the races that I want to do well in uh, with a full team behind me and um, I was being offered that in lots of places and and it was sort of seeming as though the, the priorities with Dimension Data which is to, to maybe bolster Louis Menke's chances 
um, and those particular riders that he needs certainly weren't going to be the ones to help me more in the races that I need more help in. So, um, you know, it's absolutely not a, you know, a hurt feeling on either side. Um, you know, we haven't we haven't upset each other. I, I hope not. Anyway, <laughs> I, I I still feel like I get on really well with Doug and Rolf and, and the rest of the team. So it's it's actually quite a hard feeling leaving because I was really loving the team. I was loving all of the guys in it. The staff really are fantastic. But I think just from a again a little bit like that sidestep from Slipstream. I know the rider I want to become and and I need to do that somewhere else and um, after all my conversations with um, lots of teams, Katusha was the one that was really the standout. Was it because of some vibe you got, some attitude you got, some sort of culture within the team? I mean, you seem like a kind of guy that would be interested in the culture within a team. You, you come from two teams that are sort of known to have a very particular culture. Is that part of the, the calculus when you're making those decisions? Yes and no. I think, you know, when I first came into cycling, I really didn't know much. I had a few teams to choose from, and I chose Slipstream originally for actually a lot less money than any of the others, just because JV's whole anti-doping policy was the thing that, you know, I didn't want to be in any kind of environment that I didn't feel comfortable in, and I knew that that was, that was pretty safe with JV, and, you know, he's, I've always taken my hat off for what he created there it was pretty pretty amazing for an Australian that had never raced in Europe to want to go to a world tour team and to choose his is not by accident um, but then Die Data you know it's I was it's a pretty cool team I gotta say it's pretty awesome <laughs> I always got that sense from that team you know but at the same time I wouldn't mind going to a team that's a little bit less relaxed and a little bit more assertive and um, a bit more decisive on how things are going to go in a race and if you, if you have a look at how Katusha races every single race, they're just they're really they're really stylish. They're really tough. They're very serious, um, which maybe is an environment I haven't totally been a part of. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it could work really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think for me, I I just see Katusha as the environment that sort of matches my intensity that I'm now bringing to my training and to my lifestyle with the sport and and. Uh, I was really excited to hear a lot of the changes that the team's making and, and especially culturally within the team. I think it's they're really making some exciting steps to become a really international team, hmm. to be um, much more approachable. And I think, you know, I would like to see myself get the best in that environment. Yeah, it does seem like their signings point in that direction. I mean, certainly yourself, you know, you're a personable guy, you're good with the media. Signings like that are probably no accident, I would imagine. Right? Yeah, I've, I've actually heard that um, Ian Boswell after Chris Froome is the second most requested rider in the media for Team Sky. <laughs> so, I, I mean, but that, that infers that Ian's not an incredible rider. And I think what's really cool is that um, Azevedo, Jose Azevedo, mm -hmm. is, um, I think he has quite an eye for a few of the guys. And, and I, hope, I hope it's okay for me to say this, that I believe I'm included in that. And that we, Ian and I are two riders that have a lot more in us than necessarily, necessarily are absolute results show mm -hmm. um, so I think you know someone said to me and I, I said this before I changed teams last time is that you know when someone trusts in you you tend to trust in yourself a lot and the confidence and energy that um, you know the conversations sort of held for me with with um, Katusha and Azevedo were just really exciting and really positive and really affirming of where I know I am in the sport and you know, it's just 
it's quite a privilege to have a team like Katusha actually, you know, offering you that kind of support into the future. Speaking of, well, I guess before we, we, we go too far into your new team, your previous team and one of the one of the, actually not one of the sponsors, but one of the uh, one of the beneficiaries of your current team, Quebeca, I want to chat a little bit about the gala that you're putting on. So. I think you can probably describe it better than I can. So tell us about it. Tell us what you're doing, uh, when it is, etc. Yeah, so the inspiration for it all kicked off uh, early last year. We, you know, as cyclists, we don't really get exposed to many of the real world truth. And, you know, we're very sheltered. But at the same time, a lot of the, a lot of the feeling for many of us is that we live this sort of selfish lifestyle. And, and you know, we're very aware of that so it's nice to actually find something that you can put a bit of heart and energy into and feel like you are part of something a little bit bigger and you know when guys are putting up their hand at the end of races about this Quebec of five thing it's it's really not just a media thing we all care we've we've been to some of the townships in South Africa and actually handed over the bikes to young men young women older women older men that have all proven from a particular program or another that you know they, they deserve to have this sort of life-changing opportunity and, and the Quebec bike is it's just a really beautiful thing when you actually you know you drive into these communities and you see hundreds of kids all riding to this bike presentation on Quebec bikes and you know that all of them are going to school at a much higher rate and you know the people who are starting businesses you know they're able to carry more they're able to do things faster and they're, they're just their just lives really are and you can actually see it it's not just what we're told you're actually seeing their lives have been better for for the work that Quebec puts in so Matt Bramia who you probably have known a lot about he does a lot of sort of cool charity things in in Africa as it is with the African Kid Appeal we sort of just got sitting there and saying like you know we're a bit tired of just asking people to you know put money to Quebec and putting our hand up at a race it's like you know what more can we do and we thought why don't we just put a charity dinner on at the end of the night and it's sort of a sort of awesome excuse for everyone to get get together, get dressed up, enjoy a really nice night at the end of the season. But at the same time, it's for a really nice cause, and um, we had a, a great event last year, and we're rolling into the second year. We actually have a pretty cool raffle um, raffle that you know is for the for the night. But we have some pretty incredible auction items at this point, and and one of them is uh, Chris Frooms just signed a, a Vuelta jersey, and. Uh, you know, hopefully he actually wins, so it's not just, you know, he held the red jersey for a long time, but um, we also have a 1971 Tour de France winner's jersey, uh, which is... Jumondi, right? Yeah, Jumondi. So I'm going to pretend that I knew that without having to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, it's it's the real thing, like it's from it's from one of the podiums and and it's it's a beautiful item and, um, you know, we have quite a few other exciting things that, um, you know, I don't have them in my hand yet, but I've been promised them from a lot of guys, so when I have them in my hand, I'll be able to announce it. But, um, you know, we have some really cool stuff, and we have Ashley and uh, Fletcher from Eurosport, they're the MCs for the night, and uh, we have some other cool guests, which I think, you know, people will see some photos when the whole thing's won and done, but it's uh, it's going to be a great night, and, um, you know, we've been sponsored by Niederberg Wines as well from, from our team, and they've given us an absolutely ridiculous amount of wine for how many people are coming so huge thanks to them but um i think that's a a good way to kind of give you a sign of what the the tone of the night's like we're in a beautiful uh actually private club in girona um it's called the old casino of girona and it's quite a historic building it's a massive ballroom that we're in we're gonna have capacity for 150 people and we have fantastic spanish live music it's catered by uh, a local catalan 
uh, catering company, so the food's great. Got a really cool bar and you know all the Nederberg wine, so I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit of a hoot. Well, I think we are just about out of time. I I like to finish these podcasts off with a ridiculous question. So, if you had to be a circus performer next year, if you're quitting pro cycling, had to be a circus performer, what act would Nathan Haas put on? I'm gonna ask your answer your question with another question. <laughs> what would my circus be called? Oh, Haas's hat. Haas's House of Horrors? No, it's not a circus. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a horror house. Guys. I like putting <laughs> you, you on the I spot. I, I, I was trying to put you <laughs> See, on the spot. Don't put me around. on the spot. That's cheating. Well, I, I tried uh, slacklining once, and that ended terribly. I did a trapeze, and I forgot to sort of like let go and catch the other one. <laughs> so we can we can we can follow that. I guess maybe I could be a clown. That's can, probably can my thing. Can you juggle? Thing. Can you juggle? No, horribly any, uncoordinated. Any any unicycle? Any skills? You know, maybe I could be like the guy that does like a little bit of singing, like, you know, in the intermission, just to kind of like weld acts together. Can you sing? I, I like to think I can sing. Can you sing something for us right now? <laughs> <laughs> See, now you're putting me on the spot, man. <laughs> I'm going to have to pass, Kelly. I'm uh, sorry. We, we won't make you sing, but thank you. Thank you once again for joining us on the Villainous Podcast. <laughs>